Just see her. She knows all the answers. Exodus chapter 17 is where we're going to start tonight. I want to spend two weeks in the book of Exodus. And the reason I was drawn by God to Exodus several months ago was because I felt like God was trying to teach me and remind me of some things as the pastor of this church of navigating us through this whole searching for property and looking to him, you know, uh, through this whole thing. And the more I got into it, I thought, you know what, this stuff is good, not just for me. This stuff's good for all of us. And this stuff isn't obviously just applicable to a church looking for property and, and, and all of that. This is good for all of us for life. So uh, I want to start tonight with the passage that we probably, I shouldn't say this, but we probably won't even get to tonight. We'll we'll probably get to it next week. But we're going to rewind from this passage, and then we're going to build up to this next week. But I want to begin reading in Exodus chapter 17 and verse 8. A very fascinating passage of scripture that we'll either start to get to tonight, we'll definitely get through next week. Notice what? Moses writes here, Amalek came and attacked Israel and Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out, fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua fought against Amalek just as Moses had instructed him. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses would raise his hands, then Israel prevailed. But whenever he would rest his hands, then Amalek prevailed. When the hands of Moses became heavy, they took a stone, put it under him, and Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands were steady until the sun went down. So Joshua destroyed Amalek and his army with the sword. The Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in the book and rehearse it in Joshua's hearing. For I will surely wipe out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and he called it, The Lord is my banner. For he said, For a hand was lifted up to the throne of the Lord, that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Now there's so many good things in that passage we just read. But again, for tonight's purposes, I want us to rewind a little bit now. And I want us to begin to pick up the story leading up to this account all the way back in Exodus chapter 14. So will you go back to Exodus 14 with me for a moment? This is obviously where the Lord has delivered Israel out of bondage in Egypt. And remember something that I shared even at the beginning of our study of Romans that is very applicable here. And that is, though God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he still, had to del- he still had to get Egypt out of the Israelites. They were saved, if you will, but they weren't surrendered. And that's why they went, wandered for so many years until they were able to enter the promised land through the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, because they were physically saved. They were physically delivered from bondage in Egypt, but they had not learned to surrender to God. And what God needed to teach his own people were these principles. He wanted to teach them to look to him. We just sang about this, to look to him in each and every circumstance of life. This is what he was trying to teach them. 
Whatever crisis or difficulty they found on their journey after they left Egypt, on their way to the promised land, they were to look to him. He was teaching them how dependent they were on him and that they should turn to him in any and every need. Folks, we need to remember that daily. Same thing. That as God leads us on journeys uh, with him, the journey isn't always going to be without its difficulties. It's going to not always be without its challenges and obstacles. But what God does expect His people to learn through our walking with Him is that when these challenges, obstacles, difficulties, crises come into our lives, we automatically look to Him. And we realize how dependent we are on Him and that we can look to Him for help in each and every situation. Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. We should always keep our focus on God. And what we see throughout this account in the book of Exodus is that the people of God that he delivered out of bondage into Egypt had not learned that. Because notice in chapter 14, verse 13, they are backed up to the Red Sea and they begin to complain to Moses. Why did you bring us out of Egypt? It would have been better for us to stay in Egypt. This was terrible. We just came out here to die. That's the voice I'm going to use for all the, you know. Anyway, so in verse 13, here's what Moses said to the people. Do not fear. Don't be afraid or fearful. Fearful. Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord that he will provide for you today. Now, interestingly, We're going to see that word stand firm come around again. And and what it really means is if you and I are standing before the Lord, if you will, if we're presenting ourselves to God, if we're facing God, then we can face anything else. And we can have a stability in our life just by standing in in a sense firm in the Lord and then just watching and observing his salvation. We don't have to do it and bring it about. He's going to provide for it. He's going to bring it about. He's going to accomplish it. Notice, for the Egyptians that you see today, you will never ever see again. The Lord, and notice in your Bible, that should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the name Jehovah in the Old Testament, the covenant name for God. It is the name that reminded the Israelites, God is faithful, reliable, dependable. He's a covenant-keeping God. He will keep His Word. He will be faithful to His Word. That's what the name Lord reminded them of. The Lord will fight for you so that you can be still. And the word still there doesn't just mean so that you will shut up. Although that's one of the reasons why God was going to do this, so the people would shut up and stop complaining and grumbling. But it also has another meaning. It's not talking about external stillness. It's talking about also internal stillness. In other words, God is saying, so instead of you being churned up inside and all upset and distressed on the inside, your insides can be calm, composed, quiet, still. That's why I'm doing this. So notice all this in these two verses. First of all, don't fear. We could take that to heart every day. Stand firm in the Lord. 
Know, know that He will always provide for us. That He will fight for us. I mean, just so much in those couple of verses. Well, we know what happened. The Lord parted the Red Sea. They went through. And then God allowed the sea to come back and crash over the Egyptian army. And they were utterly wiped out and defeated. So in chapter 15 is the song of triumph. And then we get to chapter 15, verse 22. Sorry, got to pull my glasses down. Verse 22. Then Moses led Israel to journey away from the Red Sea. They went out to the desert of Shur, the wilderness of walls. They walked for three days into the desert. They found no water. Then they came to Marah, but there they were not able to drink the waters of Marah because they were bitter. That's why its name was Marah. So guess what they did? The people murmured against Moses saying, what can we drink? We got nothing to drink. You brought us out here again. We're going to die of thirst. See, there's a pattern here. It doesn't matter what God does. It doesn't matter what they see. Every time a difficulty, every time an obstacle, every time a challenge comes up, instead of their initial response is to look to the Lord and say, Lord, what do we do? Their initial response at this point in their walk with God is, I'm just going to cry and complain and whine and grumble. Instead of looking to God. In fact, what we see here, if you study the book of Exodus, for those of you, and I know a couple of you, like Moses, and her, you know, one of the things you see in contrast is Moses, almost always, when something comes up, his first response is, I'm going to cry out to God. I'm going to talk to God about this. Where the people of Israel were like, I'm going to grumble, I'm going to murmur, I'm going to complain. That was their initial response. See, So, no wonder Moses was the leader at this point, trying to lead the people. So notice, the people murmur, what can we drink? He cried out to the Lord. See, first response of Moses. And the Lord showed him a tree, literally pointed out to him a tree. And when Moses threw it into the water, the water became safe to drink. There the Lord made for them a binding ordinance. There he tested them. He said, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and pay attention to his commandments and keep all his statutes, notice, then all the diseases or sicknesses, don't miss this, that I brought on the Egyptians, I will not bring on you, for I, the Lord, am your healer. Now, God has already delivered them from their enemies, the Red Sea. Now, when they come to Marah, God is teaching them, I also am your healer. I'll bring health and I will bring healing to your life. Then notice verse 27. Then they came to Elam. Elam's my favorite place in the book of Exodus. You know why? Because it's an oasis. Look at, look at it. It's describing an oasis. They came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water and 70 date palm trees. And they camped there by the water. Folks, that's an oasis. You're in the desert. And all of a sudden, you come across a place that's got 12 wells of water and 70 date palm trees. You're at the oasis. Now, unfortunately, they couldn't stay there. They had to keep moving. They were on their way to Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, if you will. And then, hopefully, they were going to be on their way to the Promised Land. They were just passing through. The problem is that they didn't get there 
They got hung up because of patterns of behavior that were developed and ingrained in them in Egypt that God had to get rid of in their life. And it took a long time. Notice then in chapter 16. When they journeyed from Elam, the entire company of Israelites then came to the desert of sin, the wilderness of clay. And they began to go through this wilderness. And again, I'm not going to take time tonight to go through all this, but basically, they don't have anything to eat. And so notice what they say in verse 3. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when they sat by the pots of meat. We ate bread to the full. You brought us out into the desert to kill us. Boy, they're such a happy bunch, aren't they? So positive. Always looking to the Lord for the answer. No, as soon as they come up on a crisis, a difficulty, an obstacle, a challenge, it's like they throw up their hands and defeat and start complaining and griping and moaning and murmuring. Not looking to the Lord. We need to make sure that we are looking to the Lord and that we understand that we are to be dependent on Him in each and everything. And again, as you journey with God, it's not like it's always going to be literally an oasis. There's going to be times where God leads us sometimes to places where there's going to be challenges and difficulties. He wants us to learn, though, that we can get through those things if we look to Him. He's the answer, just as He's been. Backed up to the Red Sea, look to me. I'll, I'll let you cross on dry ground. You've got this, you know, bitter water. I'm, I'm going to heal that water. I'm your healer. I'll make you whole. I'll make you healthy. Just look to me. Oh, you now need something to eat in the wilderness of sin? I got this stuff I'm going to send down from heaven called manna. And so basically, notice in verse 4, the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain bread or food from heaven to you. And and again, I don't want to take time tonight to go through it. You, You know the story. God basically through Moses says, now here's the deal though. This stuff is going to come once a day, except on Saturday. On Saturday, it's going to come twice. Because you're going to have the second part of that that's going to take you through Sunday. Because on Sunday, I ain't sending anything. Sunday is your day to focus on me, okay? So I don't even want you going out gathering any food on Sunday. You focus on me that day. But each day, you go out and get what you need just for that day, because guess what? You're not going to get to hoard it. You're not going to go, well, I'm going to get so much in, it's going to last me for weeks, because what God did was it started to spoil As soon as it would, if they tried to gather more than what they needed for that day, basically when they woke up the next day, all that was rotted. Because God wanted to teach them. You look to me, not just every once in a while, you look to me daily. Give me this day my daily bread. And that's exactly what God has obviously taught through Jesus in the New Testament. That's what God was trying to teach the people here. Just look to me when you come across something difficult in your life. I'll give you the answer. Don't try to figure it out yourself. Don't sit there and throw up your hands and start whining and complaining and griping about your situation. Look to me. I'll help you to figure it out. That's what God wanted. So then we come to chapter 17. Well, I am going to get to some of this tonight. This is cool. Good. 
In chapter 17, notice I'm going to pick it up in verse 1. The whole community of Israelites traveled then on their journey from the desert of sin, according to the Lord's instruction, and they pitched camp in Rephidim. Now, at least in, in, at least in Mara, there was water. It was bitter water. God had to heal it, but at least there was water. Notice they come to Rephidim, and guess what? There's no water. Well, you know what that means then, right? Why are there no water here? We don't have any water to drink. We're thirsty. Notice verse 3. Why in the world did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? I mean, again, folks, you would think by now, after all that the Israelites have seen, They've seen all the miracles and stuff that God has done, all the plagues on Pharaoh and Egypt and the the mighty delivery of His mighty hand and then the crossing of the Red Sea and then the healing of the waters at Mar and then He takes them to Elam to this great oasis before He takes them into the wilderness and there even though there's no food, He supernaturally provides food from heaven for them. At every turn, God was providing. He was delivering. He was their answer. And yet at every turn, every time something bad came up, they started to complain and gripe instead of looking to God. But notice Moses, what he does in verse 4. Moses cried out to the Lord. And I do love this. He says, what will I do with these people? They're driving me crazy, God! He says, in fact, a little more, they're going to stone me. I'm not going to make it. So the Lord said to Moses, go over before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing before you there on the rock in Oreb. You will strike the rock. Water will come out of it so that the people may drink. And Moses did so in plain view of the elders of Israel. Now, can imagine Moses' faith here because he's putting himself out there in front of all the leadership of it. If this doesn't work, he, he's got egg on his face. And yet, he trusted God. He trusted the word of God and obviously God gave them water. Now notice verse 7, he called the name of the place, first of all, Masa, which means a testing or proving And in a sense, the people of God or the Israelites were testing God, but also God was testing them. He was proving what they weren't yet and how they needed to grow in their relationship with him. And then the next word he called this place was Meribah. It means strife or contention, but it also means dissatisfaction, which is what the Israelites always were. It didn't matter what God did, where God took them, what circumstance they were in. They were dissatisfied. Could not please them. Because, notice he goes on to say, of the contending of the Israelites. You could also use the word complaining there of the Israelites. Because of their testing the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Really? Really? And yet, can I say, if we're honest, there are times in our Christian life where maybe things start to go a little sideways, and at least for a little bit, we might go, God, are you there or not? I mean, we just do. And that's exactly what they did. After all they'd seen, all that God did, they were still questioning, is is God for us or not? 
Doesn't that remind us of exactly what we talked about on Sunday out of Romans? Of why God wants to be very clear to us so that we know where we stand with Him? So that we don't have to go, God, are, are you with me or not with me? Or Are we okay or not okay? We'll never be able to stand firm in our life if we keep questioning our position with God. Now, I want you to keep your finger there before we come back and get into chapter 17 further. And I want you to go for just a minute over to the book of Numbers and see how this ties into Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14. And notice in verse 11 of Numbers 14, the Lord said to Moses, and this is probably about the time that God said this to him, how long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of the signs that I have done among them? Now I want to go back because there's some important stuff here that God's saying deeper than the English words can bring out. First of all, how long will this people despise me? That word in the Hebrew literally means to spurn. It means to kick away, to, to sort of like kick by the side. It's like God is saying, how long are these people just going to kick me to the curb? Is basically what God is saying. How long are they going to dismiss me? How long are they going to disregard me? I'm God. Look at what I've done. And yet it's like, they don't even look to me. And then he says, how long will they not believe in me? And very interestingly, again, this word believe in the Hebrew not only means to trust, it means to be certain in me. But here's the cool thing. It also means to stand firm. See, when one believes in God and truly trusts and is certain in what God has said and who God is, that's how we can stand firm. That's how we can have stability. And then don't miss this, because this ties back in with where we're going to go next week in chapter 17. When God says, in spite of the signs that I have done among them. The word sign here, again in the Hebrew, means a standard, a banner, a signal. Miracles that prove that I am among you. See, the Israelites at the end of chapter, in the middle of chapter 17 was saying, is God among us? And God is saying, I've done all these signs to prove to you I'm among you. And you're still questioning, how much more do I have to do? By the way, again, the reason that verse of Numbers, if you go back then to Exodus 17, ties in with the passage we're going to start looking at tonight, is over in verse 15, when Moses calls this place that he built the altar at, the Lord is my banner. That word is the word in the Hebrew that means my standard, my signal, my flag, if you will. And we're going to talk more about that probably next week. So, this is why now we've come to this verse Chapter 17, verse 8. So again, before we dive into this passage, let me just quickly again review. In all the crisis or difficulties the Israelites faced since they left Egypt, God was teaching them to look to Him. Red Sea, I can deliver you from your enemies. 
then, Mara, I can heal you. I can make you whole and healthy. I can provide refreshment for you in a place like Elam, this oasis. Oh, even in the wilderness of sin, I can provide food for you that comes down out of heaven. Oh, and then this Rephidim place where there is no water, I can bring water, life-giving water out of a rock. That's what I as God can do. Just look to me. And God was taking these people through this because again, his ultimate plan for these people was a promised land flowing with milk and honey. As long as they behaved like this, they weren't ready for that promised land. In fact, part of now why, beginning in verse 8, God is going to allow the enemies of Israel to begin to attack them is there were more enemies that they were going to have to face to truly experience the fullness of the life God had for them. And they were going to have to learn to fight these enemies, face these enemies, and conquer these enemies, obviously with God's help. But they weren't ready yet. They needed to go through sort of a spiritual boot camp, if you will. And I thought about that even in relationship to us. Please don't misunderstand. Do I think, as the pastor, we are ready as a church to say, go to that next level with God as a people? I believe so. Do I believe we're ready for God to hand us a piece of property and all of that? I believe that, but even though I'm the pastor, I'm human. I I could be wrong. Maybe God has more to, to teach us and more growth that He wants to see happen right here at Basha. Maybe part of what God wants to do too is... He needs to build a little bit bigger of a group before we can get to that other stage. And and these first four and a half years have been even figuring out who's really with us. Because like any church nowadays, people are in and out. And, and you can't really grow in the, the way God wants to see a local church grow unless you can start to really find a core of faithful people that, that you know are really with you. And I'm just going to say this. I know this is going to go out over podcasts, so I'll probably get some comments. That's fine. That's why a lot, I won't say all, that's why a lot of the larger ministries have to have a lot of people. Because they need even a lot more people because they don't even have a large group of people who are really with them. So that's why they even need more people on board to at least try to get that ship moving a little bit further down the road. And I do believe God is still, even four and a half years in, still in that process of helping us figure out and bringing to us the people who are really with it, who really want to be a part of this ministry because you, you can't take something further if, if, you're, if you're filled with people who go, well, I'm, I'm not sure that that's really where God wants me or not. Then obviously their heart's not going to be here. Their energy's not going to be here. Their time's not going to be here. Their focus isn't going to be here. They're not going to be the ones to take us into that next step. 
you see. And that's really what we begin to even see here in chapter 17 whenever the Amalekites begin to attack Israel. Who are really the ones that step up at that point and who are really going to support Moses and who are really with the plan of God and who are really going to look to God to take these people further down the road? And can I say, I think the people that I'm looking at here tonight, you are obviously part of that group. Obviously part of that group. And there's obviously others. And I will say this, for the size church that we have, we have a quality of, of people that just astounds me. And you are part of that quality group of people. That's why I'm excited to see what God's going to do. But to me, I can't even as the pastor presume that we're ready, even though I think we're ready. God may think, no, there's still a few things, Jeff, that, that we need to take care of here before we move on to that next level. And that's sort of where the Israelites were. So notice what happens. Verse 8. Amalek came and attacked Israel in Rephidim. Now, Amalek was a persistent enemy of Israel. They were a constant menace to their spiritual and national life. In fact, the word attacked in the Hebrew, you can't get it maybe from the English, but the Hebrew means they didn't just attack them once. They attacked them over and over and over and over again. They were like this pesky gnat or fly that just wouldn't let Israel alone. That's who the Amalekites were. Okay? Now, we might not have Amalekites attacking us all the time. But the Bible does tell us we have persistent enemies who are always bothering us. The world, the flesh, and the devil. They are our persistent enemies that will not leave us alone. And so the principles that are learned here from this passage about how to overcome persistent enemies that are trying to always be a drag on us spiritually, certainly can be applied to our own walk with God even here and now. Notice a couple things. First of all, Moses said to Joshua, verse 9, let's not pass over that too quickly. This is the first mention in the Bible of Joshua. Exodus chapter 17, verse 9. That's significant. Because we know, obviously the rest of the story, that God one day was going to appoint Joshua to lead these people eventually into the promised land. And I want you to notice something here. Where is Joshua? He doesn't know he's going to lead the people of Israel one day. But notice where he's at. He's right there with Moses. He's, he's right beside Moses. And what Joshua reminds me of is this. Joshua is a fat man. You say, how do you know what he looked like? No. Fat meaning faithful, available, teachable. That's the kind of people God is looking for. And that's why I've always remembered it, because like, wow, that spells bad. I can remember that. Faithful, available, teachable. That's Joshua. He's right there, right beside Moses. Listen, 
This principle, again, is all through the Bible. In the book of Timothy, when Paul is telling this young pastor, I want you to find what kind of people to commit ministry to? Faithful people. Faithful. Can I tell you how encouraging it is for a pastor... Any spiritual leader, any ministry leader, any staff person, or anybody, to find faithful people? People that you can just rely on, depend on, you know they'll be there. They're not going to be flashy. They're not going to be bells and whistles and all that. Because that's not the issue. What God is looking for is faithful. God is looking for people he can count on. And as the pastor of this church, and I'm going to even talk to leaders in this church, and I'll even say, if you're even leading something out there in the world, maybe you run your own business. These would be good principles for you to make sure that the people that you want helping you run things and beside you, same principle. You want people you can count on. You want people who are available when you call upon them. And you want people who are teachable. Who don't have the I know it all attitude and I can't learn anything teachable. And one of the joys after even 30 years of being a pastor that I have at the Oasis is I feel like I live amongst faithful, available, teach teachable people every week here. And it's a blessing to me. I want you to know. Because not every pastor works with such a large group of faithful, available, teachable people. Now, let me say this. I think one of the things that we need to do in order to get to that next level and keep moving forward as a church in the future is to increase the number of faithful, available, teachable people. And that means we got to figure out who's really with us. You see because it's going to be those people who really help us advance the cause of Christ through this ministry. Not those you can't count on. Not those who are not reliable, not dependable, not available, and not teachable. Joshua was right there. And all Moses had to do really was like, look at who's beside of him. And who's beside of him? Joshua. So then... Moses said to Joshua, by the way, Joshua's name is significant. It means Jehovah is salvation or Jehovah is help, which is what God's been trying to teach his people throughout the whole time that they have been delivered from Egypt is whatever help you need, you look to me. You're backed up against the Red Sea. Look to me. I'll part the Red Sea. Oh, the water's bitter. You need healing. I'm your healer. Oh, uh, you need some refreshment in a place like an oasis in Elam, I'll get you there. Oh, you're in this wilderness now and there's nothing to eat, I'll throw manna down from heaven. I'll provide. At every turn, God was showing His people, you look to me, I got it figured out. So Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out and fight against Amalek. Now, tying this in with what I just said, I'm going to 
make this comment and then we'll shut it down for tonight and we'll pick it up in verse 9 next week and then wrap it up over there at the end of chapter 17. This word choose is a very important word. And, and I look out at the people that are here tonight, I look at all of you as leaders. And I think God does too. So please listen to this because this principle is very important for us as leaders. The word choose here in verse 9 is a command by Moses to Joshua to take a keen look and make a careful, well thought out choice of who he chose to go out and fight Amalek. In other words, it wasn't just, hey, any of you want to fight? Uh, come on. Or it wasn't just, oh man, we need some fighters quick. We got an urgent situation here. The Amalekites are, so you, I, I, you need, no. It was, Moses was directing Joshua on a very important leadership principle. Whenever you're choosing people to go into battle with you, take your time and make the choice of the people that you are choosing to be beside of you in the battles of life and in the spiritual battles of life and in heading further and further towards the promised land and in gaining new spiritual ground. Make sure that the people who you're surrounding you with, that you have made a keen inspection, if you will, and that this has been a well thought out, prayed about choice. Now think about that for a moment. I've been in church life ever since I was a baby. Haven't been obviously saved since I was a baby, but I've been in church life since I was a baby. And one of the things that you see throughout churches all the time down through history is, first of all, instead of allowing ministry to be born out of the people and their passion for something, Churches do the opposite. They create programs and ministries that they think should be there. Then they try to go out and drum up people to fill these positions that had no, had no uh, part in creating them in the first place. And then they've already got these programs and ministries in place and all these classes and everything. And then it's like, hey, we need people to fill these positions. And, and then they start to throw the guilt trip. And it's like, hey, you know, if, if we don't have anybody, then, you know, we're going to have to just, you know, let all that go. And so somebody needs to step up and do this, right? Okay, and then you, you always have in churches the, the people that feel like, well, if there's a need, it, it, you know, I'll, I'll, even though I've, my plate is completely flowing over and I really shouldn't add anything else because the principle is just because God has made me aware of a need doesn't mean he's holding me responsible to meet the need that you always have people in a church go, well, I'll do it. And they're just there to fill a hole. They're not there because God called them they're not there because the leadership made a well thought out, prayed about, you know, let's look at this and see, are they, are they the right temperament for this? Do they have the right training for this? Do, do they have, are they faithful? 
Are they, you know, and so then churches get frustrated. Well, I put this person in charge of this class and they keep calling in sick and they're never, you know, I have to keep scrambling at the last minute to get somebody to fill their place. Well, then maybe we shouldn't have asked them to take that in the first place because maybe we should have made sure that they're here. Then we go and say, hey, because I see that you're around here a lot and we've got this opening and I perceive you as being not only faithful and available, but a teachable person. Would you pray about and think about this after praying about it and thinking about it ourselves? This is the way it's supposed to be done. But a lot of times in local churches, it's not done that way. And then we wonder why, in a sense, we lose the spiritual battles. Because we're placing people in strategic positions in ministry and service and leadership who, first of all, haven't demonstrated that they really have the medal for it at this point. It'd be like sending a soldier out into the front lines of a battle who's never really had the training or the experience or the expertise and saying, hey, go out there and do the best you can. Aim that somewhere and maybe you'll hit something. And yet in a church of the Lord Jesus Christ fighting the greatest enemy any human being will ever face, we just throw anybody out. And then, too, then we wonder why they get so discouraged so quickly and so frustrated and just throw up their hand and say, I can't do ministry and service. It's just too overwhelming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then... You know, we're partly to blame for even putting them in that position because they weren't ready for that yet. Any more than even out there in the world, somebody being put in a position they're not ready for. I saw this in my own short experience working at a Starbucks. I'll never forget this and I'll close. We had one of the busiest Starbucks in Phoenix. We always, our store like always had like top dollar amount as far as sales go every week. And this new person came in and they had just been trained to make drinks and stuff for like a day. And can I just tell you, I know some of you, if you're, if you're a coffee, you know, addict and whatever, you know, you go in, you expect, but bless your hearts, next time you go into, if there's somebody being trained, have a little patience. Really? Because I, I was there, you know, you get nervous when customers start coming in and calling out 15 different things and you're like, oh my God, I can't remember all that. Anyway, they put this dear girl in there at the height of our busiest time. There's like 30 people out the door. There's 30 cars in the drive-thru. And this girl is alone on the bar trying to make all these drinks. And she just melted down. And I... You know, at the time, I, I wasn't obviously the manager of the store anything, but I saw what was going on, and I, I felt like I needed to step in and try to heal some things, both with her and then the, the manager and everything at that point. But the, the point is this. These principles, what I'm trying to say is these are applicable to everyday life in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And what we can take from this is this. God is teaching us here in the book of Exodus. Even in our journey with Him, there's going to be difficulties, there's going to be crises, there's going to be obstacles, there's going to be challenges. No doubt about it. But don't freak out and start, you know, just look to me, God says. I'll be your help. I'll provide. I'll be your salvation. I'll be your answer. Look to me. And secondly, 
in this journey, our enemies aren't just going to sit back until we get our act together. They're not that kind. They're going to just continue to attack us and pester us all the way through this journey like that gnat or fly that won't leave us alone. And so even in that, we've got to get our act together and, and we've got to start being the faithful, available, teachable people that God is looking for. And we've got to grow in our relationship with God and be that example for others so that more and more can become faithful, available, and teachable by our example and by our training so that we can build this church of the Lord Jesus Christ and make it into a mighty army that can truly make a difference in the world in which we live. That's what God wants to do. And He wants to do it through us. And He is doing it through you. Just continue to let Him do what He's doing through you guys. You're awesome. You're amazing. Keep going. Keep it up. And let's keep encouraging each other along the journey. Now that we've sweated for Jesus, let's close in prayer. God, I thank You for every book of the Bible. God, whether it's Revelation, whether it's Exodus, whether it's Ezekiel, whether it's Romans, whatever it is, God, you have a message for your people. And God, tonight we have seen that clearly you are telling us, even through the Israelites of old, look to you, God, look to you. So God, I don't know what situation, what circumstances, what crisis or difficulty or obstacle or challenge each of these folks here tonight, these dear folks, are facing in their life. But I do know this. I do know clearly that what you're telling them to do tonight is look to you. To, to realize how dependent we are on you and to know that, Lord, we can look to you in each and every circumstance and that you will be there for us. You will help. You will provide. You will be our answer. You are all, our, all in all. Just look to you, God. Cry out to you. Pray to you. Seek you. And then, God, help us to begin to build that faithful, available, teachable spirit more and more in our lives. Help us to be the Moses and Joshua's of today. Help us to be the people, God, that you're looking at to use in your kingdom here on this earth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here tonight. Next week, we'll make sure that the air conditioning is running. See you next week.